tonight. I think that that is uh, one to, to recall, um, because tonight, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to give a little thought to what happened next, what happened after Judas. So maybe you'll be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Um, looking there in Acts 1, there's a, there's a number of things we see as Acts 1 picks up, opens up. We know that Jesus has already been to the cross. He's already been executed. He's already spent those three days in the tomb. He's already uh, been raised, conquered death, walked out of the tomb, leaving it behind. And so what it says here, so what we're going to see, you know, sort of the big picture is that Judas has betrayed Jesus. Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus has, has gone to the tomb. He's conquered the tomb. He's, he's taught with the apostles, the disciples. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then sort of the question is, well, what now? Well, Acts 1 fills us in. We know that after um, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, that the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem for a sign from heaven. Acts chapter 1 at verse 7, this is what the Bible says. They came, this is verse 6, they came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but here's what it is for you to do. Here's what it is for you to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, he's giving them sort of a map, if you will, starting in Jerusalem and then moving out from there, you will teach everyone what it is I want you to teach. Now, at the very end of Luke, go to Luke 24, a little bit more detail is given at the very end of Luke. Luke 24, let's just read a couple of verses because it's the same setting. Uh, Luke 24, 49 Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Remember Acts 1 said, wait there in Jerusalem until the sign. Acts 20, or excuse me, Luke 24, verse 50, he says, He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Well, back over in Acts 1, after Jesus had told them to wait, look at Acts 1, verse 9. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why are you waiting? Why are you hesitating? He said this, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And so they went into the upper room and there they were staying. And I'll pause right there uh, because that gives us the, the summary, the catches us up onto what's happening, where we are, so to speak, and to what is going to happen next. They were to wait for a sign from heaven but in the meantime, that you know, there's sort of there's a job they've got to do now. So they know that they're to wait, wait till this special sign, wait till this power from on heaven uh, on high comes, and they really begin the mission, the work of Jesus in earnest. But in the meantime, as they're there in Jerusalem waiting, what are they to do? 
Well, we know that since the last time we were together and we learned about the two Judases, particularly Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, went, hangs himself, has a rather disgusting end. And we know that now there's just 11 apostles. And so what they're going to do is they are going to fill the spot vacated by Judas. So let's pick up reading there in Acts 1 where we paused a minute ago. Verse 13, they're in the upper room. There they're staying. There's Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So there's, there's the 11. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So it says that Peter stands up among the brothers, the company of the persons, about 120, and he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share in this ministry. And he says, this is where it says he acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, falling headlong, burst open in the middle, all his bowels gushed out, became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The field was called, in their language, Akadalma, the field of blood. And so, but picking up what Peter said, that what was written in the Psalms, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Speaking of the, the ugly demise of the one who betrays, he says, but also it says, let another take his office. And so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And so they put forward two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. So there's one that's not one, but two, but three names known by, we've said that over and over again, multiple names for these folks, and Matthias. And so they prayed and they said, yeah, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all, so show us which of these two you've chosen, the one to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, we have Matthias taking the place of Judas, bringing us back to this, this full number, the whole number 12, as it were. They're complete now to prepare themselves to go out into the world and start this ministry of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to know, that when a, an apostle died, this is the lone time that the office is filled. You can, you can flip forward a few pages, Acts chapter 12, and James the apostle will be murdered there. He's not replaced. After the initial 12 go out into the world, beginning the ministry of Jesus, as they die, as this world happens, as they are executed for standing with Jesus or for whatever it is that might happen, the office is not filled again. And so there's no one that's going to replace James. There's no one who's going to replace Peter. There's no one who's going to replace Paul, or excuse me, uh, Matthew, or any of these others. No one's going to replace them. There's no succession of apostles. Once these 12, the 11 plus Matthias, once these 12 in their natural lives, that's it. Uh, there's no more apostles with a capital A. Uh, that, that time and that work would have served its purpose, and it ends. Uh, now, there would be others who would be sent. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, it speaks of James, the brother of Jesus. It says there that he is one sent. 
he's not a capital A apostle. Uh, he is one that it does the work of God, does the work of his brother and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, it speaks of Barnabas. Look at Acts 14, 14 real quick. Uh, the language that's used there is rather unusual, but this is what it says in Acts 14, 14. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their garments and rushed out of the crowd. Now you might think, now wait a minute, uh, Barnabas is, is not an apostle, and, and Paul is a very special, unique one who stands alone, apostle to the Gentiles, uh, not part of the twelve, but a very special one sent. Well, go back to chapter 13, because we recall that the word in and of itself, at its foundation, at its heart, at its core, the word apostle just means one sent, right? Remember this, uh, several weeks ago we had this conversation, I could say right now to Jet, Jet, go get me a, a bottle of water, please. And he would happily do that because that's the kind of guy he is. He'd go get one. And in that moment, in that time, as he's leaving this room and going to a different room where there's a bottle of water waiting for me, he would be my apostle because he's been sent with a task, with a job. That's lowercase apostle. Not the special kind, not the kind designated by Jesus from out of the all, remember they had all the disciples come before him and he chooses 12 to be his capital A apostles with a special job. Well, look here in Acts 13. Verse 3, Acts 13, 3. It says, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, that is, their hands on Barnabas and Paul, and sent them off. So if they put their hands on them, prayed on them, and then sent them away, what are they now? They're apostles. They've been sent with a mission, with a job. And so just like Jet would be my apostle if we went to go get the bottle of water, here are these men Barnabas and Paul are apostles. They've been sent to go do the job of missionary work. Uh, it'd be similar. We've got a man right this minute, Daniel Gaines in Tanzania. Had we had the time, there's been others who have sent him. I guess the Hoover Church of Christ in Alabama, they have sent him to Tanzania to do some work. He's their apostle in that sense. No one is under the misconception or the confusion that he's any type of special designated capital A apostle. He's just been sent to do the mission of God. I'll say all those things just to say this, trying to make the point. There are no more capital A apostles. There's just not. After these 12, after the 11 plus Matthias, after they were sent out and did their work when they started to die, whether they were executed or died of natural causes like, uh, like John, after they died, that was it. All the rest now are just those of us, lowercase a apostles, who are sent to do a job, sent to do work. So a couple of observations I want to make about the things that are written here in Acts chapter 1. Uh, because unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot we can say about Matthias. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, Miss Virginia Neville had, had made this specific request uh, some weeks ago. When you're doing these lessons on the apostles, I want to hear about those guys from Acts 1, like Matthias. Oh, I'm going to try, but I don't know there's much to say about that. We'll, do, we'll give it our best. So here's one thing I do want to say about how special the Word of God is. Look at chapter 1, verse 16 here. Acts 1, 16. When Peter stands up and says, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. And then listen to this description, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. That's the way inspiration works. Whenever you hold this book in your hands, you've got a book that's written by a number of different men in one sense, but you've got a book that's written by one God in the ultimate sense. And so he says here, by the mouth of David, 
In other words, by the, by the pen, by the human instrument of David, the Holy Spirit gave us a message. Well, that's the way all of this works. If I look here in the book of Acts, I could say, by the instrument of Luke, the Holy Spirit gave us a message. When I go to the Gospel of Matthew, I can say, by the mouth of David, the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, by the mouth of Matthew, the Holy Spirit gave us a message. That's the way Scripture works. God inspired these men to record what he wanted us to know. And so in times like uh, Luke chapter 10, in Luke 10, verse 16, remember, Jesus had sent the disciples out to go preach and teach and heal. He sent them out to do this, this work. And he says in Luke 10, verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. In other words, Jesus says, I'm sending you, and by my sending you, you have my authority to preach and teach. So you can't turn to the pages of, of Paul and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and say, well, that's not Jesus, that's just Paul. No, that's the word of God. That's the word inspired by the Holy Spirit through the instrument, through, through the vessel of Paul. Just like here it says, the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David and it's recorded in the book of Psalms. And that's God's word and you and I should know that. From Genesis to Revelation, we have the Holy Spirit speaking through the mouths or the pens of these men. This message is divine. This message is from God. This is not a book written by human errors or human men that can make human errors. This is a book by God. See, I'm, I'm just a man making errors even standing here in front of you right now. That's not the way Scripture works. Amen? That's not the way Scripture works. Praise God for that. The next thing I want to say is also in chapter 1, verse 16, the second part of verse 16. It says there we've got this special message that the Holy Spirit spoke through David, but notice what he spoke about. David spoke about this opportunity, Peter says. David spoke about this circumstance. Hundreds of years ago, David was speaking about this here and now, which is amazing to consider. But look at what it says. Concerning Judas, here's what it says of Judas. Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Judas was a guide to Jesus. Now, Judas was a guide to Jesus, but that's not the kind of guide, guide you and I want to be, is it? Judas was a betrayer. Judas brought people to Jesus in order to kill him. Judas brought people to Jesus in order to hurt him. Judas brought people to Jesus in order to humiliate him. And so you go back in Matthew 26. Maybe real quickly, look at Matthew 26. And, and then those pages there. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16 is the time where Judas is trying to work out a deal. He goes to the authorities, what will you pay me? How much will you give me if I'll give you Jesus? What will you give me if I take you to, if I become your guide? What will you give me if I guide you to Jesus? And they come up with just a paltry sum of a slave. Remember that? But then drop down there in Matthew 26 to about verse 47, where Matthew 26, 47 through 50, we've got Judas actually doing the deed. He comes into, he marches into that special place of solitude where Jesus and the others had gone so many times before to pray, to connect with the Father, to recharge, to have those times of, of meditation and quietness. And Judas marches the soldiers there with their clubs and swords and says, there he is. Remember, he even gives Jesus a kiss. This is the one. He became a guide to Jesus. And that's not the kind of guide to Jesus you and I want to be. And here's, here's something I mean by that. You and I can be the kind of people that repel others from Jesus. 
You and I can be the kind of people who, who mislead and teach false things and ugly things and wrong things about Jesus. And so we're guides to Jesus, but we're the kind that not willingly, not knowingly, but, but betray Jesus. There's a different kind of guide to Jesus. I'm thinking of Philip and Andrew in John chapter 12 at about verse 20. John 12, 20 through 22. Remember, there's that time where those Greeks, they come up to Philip and they're like, Sir, we want to see Jesus. We need a guide to Jesus. And Philip goes and gets Andrew. Andrew goes and gets Jesus. That's the kind of guide to Jesus we want to be. When people say, I want to be able to, I want to see Jesus. I want to know who he is. I want to know what he's about. I want to know what he says, what he thinks, how he feels. I want to know Jesus. Show me Jesus. We need to be able to guide people to him. And so there's this image here in Acts 1.16. Judas was a guide to Jesus. And it was terrible. You and I should be a guide to Jesus. That's beautiful. Then there's this. So finally we get to Matthias. About verse 21 that we see that uh, Acts 1, 21, he says there are certain qualifications people had to meet. Had to have accompanied us, accompanied us all the time that Jesus came in and out among us. Meaning from the time that he was baptized by John until the very day of his ascension, you had to be part of the group. So that's one of the, one of the restrictions, uh, as it were, one of the qualifications for being uh, the next one to fill Judas's spot. And so he gets chosen here. It says that they cast lots. We're not, we're not 100% sure what that means to cast lots. Uh, seems to be the case today that most lean towards, they fact, think that there was a, a jar of some sort with rocks that were marked in some kind of way. And that jar was dumped out and a certain rock that came up or the first one that was turned a certain way that Ah, there you go. That's the one. That's the casting of lots. And this is not a man-made thing. You and I cannot go cast lots today and determine anything. Other than maybe a good way to just waste time. You and I don't cast lots and discover the heart and mind of God. That was a time reserved specifically for what God wanted them to do right here, right now. Because this is what they said. God, you choose who the apostle will be. God, you tell us who the apostle will be. The vehicle he used here was the casting of lots, and he chose, God chose Matthias. Now, after these two times where his, word, his name is mentioned here, Matthias is never mentioned again. Nothing else said about him in Scripture. So we assume he's in those places, like when it says in Acts 4.33, that the apostles were doing great things. We can assume that he's in that group, but his name is never mentioned again. So, here, so since his name's never mentioned, it just says Matthias was the one chosen. The lot fell on him. He, God picked him. He's the next apostle. What could we possibly say about him? Well, here's something I think that is very, very important we can say about Matthias. We don't know anything else about the guy. Don't know anything about him before. Don't know anything about him later. But here's what we do know about Matthias. Unequivocally, we know he was ready. He was ready. Because whenever the time comes, you've got this group of people, one of the apostles is eliminated, now we've got this group of people, this pool of people that we need to choose from to get to fill this spot. He was ready when he was called upon. What a beautiful thought that is, that you could say, I was in such a position that not only, because there's got to be more than just being there, right? He had to have just done more than just show up. Yeah, I was there the day Jesus got baptized. And I just kept coming back every single day. And I was also there the day Jesus ascended to heaven. It's got to be more than just he showed up every day. Because lots of people showed up every day. 
But he was ready. He was ready to be called upon. He was ready to get to work. He was ready to go to the ends of the earth for Jesus. He was ready to die for Jesus, knowing that would be kind of like what Thomas said. When Thomas said they knew they were going back to the place that they had just been where everybody wanted to kill Jesus, and Thomas said, well, let's go die with him. Matthias was like that, evidently. He was ready. He was ready to be a part of the work when he was called upon. So here's some lessons you and I can take from that. You and I need to be ready when called upon because this might be the last moment of our lives. In Luke 12, 20, remember there's that parable that Jesus is telling when he talks to that fool, but he says, this night your soul is required of you. We never know when our lives will end, so we have to be ready. Have to be ready in good standing with the Lord, ready to meet the, the creator of all things. We have to be ready. This might be it. We have to be ready when called upon because you never know when it might be the time that you're called upon to lead. Here's, here's one way I think about it. In passages like 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, and Titus 1, 5, or 5 through 16, in these passages we read about the qualifications of elders, the qualifications of deacons. And so since we know what the qualifications of elders and deacons are, our young men should be working towards this. They should be working towards thinking, you know, since I can read here in Scripture what God's expectations are of this kind of man, I'm going to set a goal and work towards that so that when one day I'm called upon, I can say, I'm ready. Instead of being, you know, the kind of thing maybe talked to, maybe an elder comes and says, uh, have you ever thought, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I haven't prepared. I've had 50 years of my life, but I'm not ready. Well, so start getting ready. Start getting ready today. Matthias was ready when he was called upon. He was ready to teach. He was ready to preach. He was ready to lead. Let us be ready. And then that would also apply to every last person, man, woman, whatever it might be. In Titus chapter 3 at verse 1, it says, let us be ready for every good work. And so this is what I mean. You never know when the next opportunity might arise for you to do something good. So be ready. You never know when the opportunity might arise to be encouraging, to do something helpful, to do something good. As it says in Titus 3.1, when some good work might arise, be ready. Matthias was ready. So be ready. Men, men, be ready to lead. Be ready to be elders and deacons. Everybody, be ready to do something good. Everybody, be ready for this might be the night your soul is required of you. Matthias was ready, and you and I should be as well. Then there's this. There's several other things I want to say about that, but let's move to this. Go to verse 22, Acts 1, 22. This is where we'll end. When Peter is describing who the person will be, whether it's uh, Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, or Matthias, he says, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Must become a witness to his resurrection. So here's my question for you. How do you become a witness of something that's already taken place? How do you become a witness of an act that's in the past? Well, you don't. Because clearly what's happening here is he's saying, this person has already seen it. Now they've got to be ready to tell about it. That's what the witness is here. It's more than just having observed. Remember I said, this guy, Matthias, has got to have done more than just show up every day. He did that and more. And so Peter's saying, you've got to be able to move and transition to the next phase now. You saw it. You saw Jesus on the cross. You saw him dead. You saw him taken down off the cross. You saw him put in a tomb. 
and then you saw him alive. Then you saw him walking, talking, preaching, teaching, eating, and then you saw him ascend to the right hand of the Father. You saw these things. You were a witness, he says. Well, now it's time to go tell people about it. Now it's time to go speak about what you've seen. Now it's time to go speak about and teach about what you know to be true. And that's exactly what happens. Go over to Acts 4. Acts 4, look at verse 20. This is that time when the apostles had been charged not to talk about Jesus. Stop telling people about Jesus. In fact, stop using the name of Jesus. But Acts 4.20, he says this, we cannot but speak. In other words, we can't help it. We have to speak of what we've seen and heard. We've been charged to be witnesses, and we can't help but do that. And so that's why back here in Acts 1, he says, you're being called to be a witness. You've got to come and be with us and teach with us and go with us out into the world and be a witness to the resurrection. And so here in Acts 4.20, we can't help but preach and teach about the things we've seen and heard. We've got to be witnesses. Then go over to Acts 22, one more example of this. Acts 22, this time when Ananias is talking to Paul. Remember, Paul had a very unique uh, situation speaking to the risen Jesus there on the road. This is what the Bible says in Acts 22, beginning at verse 14. He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. And you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. In other words, it won't be enough to have just had the experience. It won't be enough to have just seen it. You have to go and tell everyone what you've seen and heard. And so he says, and then why do you wait? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. In other words, get up, be immersed, be cleansed, and get to the work of being a witness. Go tell people about what you've seen and heard. So according to a passage like Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where the Lord tells the disciples, you go make disciples, for you and for me, we're all apostles in that sense, right? We've all been told, we've all been sent to go make, the make disciples, to preach, to baptize, and to teach. We've been told that. Go make disciples. So we're all apostles and was, as we've all been sent to do that. And then according to Acts chapter 1, verse 22, we're all to be witnesses to something about Jesus. Witnesses to the sacrifice and love and power of Jesus, that he died on the cross for us, that he conquered the, the enemy death, leaving behind an empty tomb, ascended to the right hand of the Father so that even now he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so now we are all to be witnesses to the love of Jesus. The question is, like Matthias, are we ready? This may be the night you're called. Might be the night you're called home. Might be the night you're called to tell someone about Jesus. Might be the night you're called to be a leader for Jesus and his people. Are you ready? Matthias was ready. If there's any way that we can help you, any way we can encourage you, won't you come while we stand and sing together? Wonderful story of love. Tell it to